0: Judges chapter 11, and um, it's a long chapter. I'm not going to read it all, but I do want you to stand for a portion of it. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 1. We're going to take a look at a real interesting character. His name is Jephthah. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a prostitute. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not. You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tov. Uh, have you ever, ever heard the uh, Hebrew greeting, broker Tov? It means good morning or good day. Uh, Tov means good, so he, he dwelt in the land of good. Good place to run to. But there he met worthless men and banded together with Jephthah, and they went out raiding with him. It came to pass after time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tov. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do according to your words. And then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all of the words before the Lord in Mizpah. Everyone say Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon saying, what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? And that's where we'll stop and let me pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word and We thank you, God, for all of the applications we'll find in Jephthah's life that will pertain to ours. So, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, and Lord, by your might and by your power and by your spirit, would you touch us deeply and transform us in accordance with your living word, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. I ask you to repeat the word mizbah because I get a kick out of that word every time I see mizbah. Oftentimes, you'll see couples that, that have what they call a Mizba jewelry. And, um, and it's in, in it, in it says, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we're apart. And one couple wears one half of it, and the other couple wears the other half. And then when you come together, you put them together, it together. It's a little heart. and has the verse. It's just so sweet. It just is the best. Isn't it? But the context of the verse is what cracks me up. Because every time I see one of those, I'm like, you have no idea what you're wearing. Because it's, it's written to, to Jacob and Laban. And really what, what they're saying to each other is, listen, you scoundrel. May God watch you while we're apart so that you don't cheat on me. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? <laughs> just, just put that together. Well, this is a Mizbah, And really what, what the people of Gilead are saying to Jephthah is, listen, if we don't keep our word, may the Lord do to us terribly, and may he condemn us for not keeping our word to you. You will be our leader. And, and we see this guy, and he does it, interestingly enough, he does this in Mizpah which is where it originally began with Jacob and Laban. And so they're in this location. Now, we studied Samson last week, and Samson was dealing in the south with the Philistines. In the northern regions of Israel, uh, they were dealing with the Ammonites. And the Ammonites, Moabites and the Ammonites, came out of an ancestral relationship that Lot had with his two daughters. And the, the sons that were born were Moab and Ammon. And that became the Moabites and the Ammonites. Right? And so, so the Ammonites are now oppressing the Israelites in the northern region, and, and they're, they're ob- obliterating them. And uh, you've got Jephthah here, and he has gone into the land of Tov, the, the good land on the other side of the Jordan, and he's put together a band of raiders, and it says worthless men. It doesn't mean worthless as far as their value before the Lord. It means that they're poor, they're impoverished, and it's much like David's mighty men that began with him, all those who are indebted, distressed, and discontented gathered to David in the in the cave. And and these are those folks. They're the distressed, indebted, and discontented. They have nowhere to go, so they hang with him. And the raiding parties are are kind of like Robin Hood. They're going and they're attacking the Ammonites to bless the Israelites. And, and they're looking out for people's farms. They're protecting the region. They truly believe it to be God's territory. They're defending it, even though the nation of Israel isn't unified in defending it for them. He's doing it, but he's doing it on the other side of the Jordan because the Gileadites don't want him there. And, and his father is Gilead. And and the Gileadites, his own father's tribe of whom he's named after, don't want him. And what's happened is Gilead was a man of nobility, uh, Jephthah's father. He's a man of nobility. He was a rich guy. And uh, everyone knew him. And obviously in the tribe of Gilead to be named Gilead, uh, he, he's a big dude. And uh, he had traveled and connected with a prostitute, uh, similar to the DHL guy that we were talking about. And he burst this son. And... Um, and he brings him into his home. We don't know what happened to his mother. We're not sure. But in the home, uh, it, it seems that the text kind of infers that uh, Gilead died. And when he died, the son said, you have no place of inheritance for us. And they drove him out and he fled, which means they were threatening his life. They're going to kill him. So here is a, here, here's a, a gang member um, whose mother was a prostitute and, and whose half brothers and half siblings didn't want him and threatened to kill him and take his life. Who's ostracized and kicked out of the community? And and let's just take that in for a second. Let's take that in for a second. I want I want you in your own mind to tell me all the reasons why life's so tough. And I want you to put yourself in that l- lineage and 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 add to that when you heard about Catherine. And I don't need to go through the hoarded story of her life, but I could. And you, you've got problems. I have no doubt. And I don't want to diminish or dismiss them. But everybody's got problems. Now, how do those problems affect you? Do they affect your relationship with others? If a man desires friends, he must himself first be friendly. Does it affect your willingness to serve? Does it affect your bitterness towards others? Does it affect... how does How does your life... How do you respond to what you've been handed? Because this is a broken, fallen world, and people do awful things to people and we have every excuse why not to be personally accountable for our own life we love to blame others we love to it makes us feel better it justifies our bitterness it justifies our inactivity it justifies our apathy it justifies our sin and then we go from being a victim to being a victimizer. And here you have a man by the name of Jephthah who has every reason, every reason to never step foot again in Israel, let alone help those people, for what they did to him. They took his name, they took his family, they they killed his mother more than likely just by stress. They shamed him. His father considered him a bastard son. His, his half-siblings didn't want anything to do with him. This was a messed up family. Messed up. And I, I can think of a lot of things that are awful, but rejection is one of the worst. People hate to be... I Man, that's just an awful place to be rejected by others. It's a hard experience for anybody. Son of a prostitute, ostracized, gang leader... But you know what's fascinating about Jephthah? He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. How'd he get there? How'd that guy get there? Your past doesn't determine your future. And you've heard me say time and time again, you don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're gonna be. You can be unshackled from your past and you can rise above your past You can get past your past, but it has to be a choice. You may have no control over the character of your ancestors, right? But you can determine your destiny and that of your descendants. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Apostle Paul says, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. One author says, stop making excuses and blaming your circumstances for your lack of achievement. We have every reason why we can't. You want to talk about why would those five girls have any business seeking an education at a university in America? They have, they have so many excuses to justify their lack of achievement. And we're all victims. Or does the Bible declare that we are more than conquerors? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's proof for you, those girls. Catherine is proof. I think of my friend David Lane. I just watched him. I was with him Thursday and Friday in, in Orlando. I remember David, he didn't have two nickels to rub together. And, and one of the most generous men I'd met, I met him in 05 and, and uh, just started to watch his life. And, and I, I was stunned. I, I was literally stunned as I'm watching a video of him on Fox News. To his left is Franklin Graham and to his right is Pastor Jeffers. And there's David Lane, national television on Hannity, yeah. talking about the Lord. And, I, and I'm stunned by that. And I had just gotten back from an event that God used him to put together, and there was Trump and Rubio and Huckabee, and they were all there. 800 pastors in a room. Remarkable man. Yes. But I know the backstory. His daddy left him when he was six months old and his older brother was 16 months old. Left him in a trailer in Oklahoma while his dad went off to go sow his oats. His daddy ended up in Louisiana, married the beauty queen, state beauty queen, had two kids from that woman, ended up becoming the largest car dealer in Louisiana in the Chevy Hall of Fame. Man had, had more money than the Pope has appointments. And his, his daddy didn't want anything to do with him. And David grew up alienated, ostracized, bastard son. His older brother died of a drug addiction. And David would, by his own testimony, he was the wildest man that ever lived. People who know that he came to Christ said, there's no way. That's how he was. I'm shocked. I'm really. He says, yeah. He said, in the summers, I would sell Bibles in the south and, and, and in the day and at night, I'd, I'd, I'd be drunk. And he, he said, I... I I tried to reconnect with my father. and went to live with him, and my dad gave me a car to drive, and my half-sister told the manager of the dealership, that's the car I want." And Just remember who the real Lane is. And that was his life. And his, his daddy was a tough man. And there's a whole story and a background behind that. But what's fascinating is when his daddy died a couple years ago, David went to the reading of the will by request of his father. And he sat down, and there were his half-brother, his half-sister, and David. His brother died. And, and his dad requi- requested him to come to the reading of the will, and David came. And Cindy was with him, his wife. And the will read, And to my son David, I leave nothing. Why don't you come to the reading of the will, and let me just slap you in the face while I'm dead. And you got got rejection issues? We all do. We all do. What's fascinating about David is his daddy had written that and probably wasn't thinking about it the few weeks he had remaining on this earth before he died. And David had reached out to his father and put all that aside and forgot what was behind and was striving for what was ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him and said, Dad, what can I do for you, Dad? And, And he would minister to him and love on him on his deathbed. And his daddy would say, Why are you here? And David had the privilege to lead his dad to the Lord. And you know what his dad said before he died? Two days before he died, I think it was. David said, Dad, what, are you going to leave me? No, he didn't say that. You know what he said to his dad? Dad, what can I do for you? What can I do for you, Dad? He said, David, I'm proud of you. You've done, you've done real well. He said, we've got a good name. I want you to take it and carry it. He says, I will, Dad. His dad died. He went, to the, funer- he went to, the, to the reading of the will. And then, you know, that was written years before. And David thought, I may have not got anything in the reading of the will, but I got the best part, a name. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, a good name is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than his birth. And that name, Lane, was on Fox News, defending the Judeo-Christian ethic of America. That name is having an effect on the nation. And yeah, you can clap for that. Stop making excuses and blaming your circumstances for your lack of achievement. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Jephthah is a living testimony in the scriptures to declare that. Stop assigning fault and start taking personal responsibility. You want something? Go get it done. You want friends? Be friendly. this, this This is our accountability before the Lord. He's given us everything we need in Him. I think about our nation, and we are a nation of victims, and and listen, I don't want to dismiss folks who are struggling with addiction. If there's anyone in the room who understands addiction, I get it. I know the struggle, and I know the pity parties that I went through and all the struggles. I get it. I know the draw and the temptation and the struggle in the midst of it. I get it. But you know what's fascinating about us in America today? We no longer have alcoholics in America. We no longer have drug, drug addicts. We just have people who have been stricken with a disease called alcoholism. Now, I I agree. There's a propensity towards alcoholism. But to call it a disease, if alcoholism is a disease, then it's the only disease sold in bottles, advertised on TV, self-inflicted by the will of man, has licensed outlets to spread it, produces revenue for the government, brings violent deaths on our streets and our highways, has no germs or viral cause, propels one's health to self-destruction, and it increases crime. If it's a disease, why don't we eradicate it? But we repealed those laws, as I recall. And rejection's hard to accept. And we love to blame others when we face rejection. And the thing that amazes me about Jephthah is he had every reason to blame his circumstances for his lack of achievement and his family for why he wouldn't engage but he didn't. He didn't. I think about folks who've experienced rejection, and, and, I, and I wrote a few of them down. I got a, I got a kick out of all of these. You've heard of Harrison Ford, right? Um, star Wars, Indiana Jones. When he first started out, he was told by a number of movie executives that he didn't have what it took to be a star. Those people are stupid. This, is, this one's great. Walt Disney. He was fired from the Kansas City Star in 1919. His editor said he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. <laughs> One of my favorite authors, Rudyard Kipling, he was the author of Jungle Book and Rikki-Tikki-Tavi and Captain's Courageous. He was fired from the San Francisco Examiner in 1889, and he was told by an editor that he didn't know how to use the English language. Oprah Winfrey was fired from a job as a TV reporter because they said she was unfit for TV. That may be true. (laughs) The Beatles were rejected by several recording studios. Uh, One of the record labels famously said that the Beatles have no future in the music industry. But the the coolest story is Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds, they were best of friends. And uh, they were both fired from Universal Studios on the exact same day. And Burt Reynolds was re- recounting in an interview about that day. And uh, he, was, he said, I was told I couldn't act. And Clint was told that he walked too slow and his Adam's apple was too big. And as we were walking to our cars, we were quiet. And finally I said, you're in trouble, Clint. I can take acting lessons, but you can't get a new Adam's apple. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing um, about... Jephthah in regards to being rejected and, and, and looking at his past and all the reasons why his circumstances would dictate his lack of achievement. None of those exist when he's called on by the, the Gileadites to, to fight the Ammonites. He just, he just says, is your word true? Okay, a misba, a witness between us. Do you really want me to be your king? I'm gonna be your, your, your savior, but do you want me to be your sovereign? Let me repeat that. Because there's somebody in the room asking you that question. And it's not me. You want God to be your Savior, but do you want Him to be your sovereign? And Jephthah asked that of the Gileadites you, you want me to save you and rule over you? We love Jesus as Savior. He came as a meek and mild baby and born in a manger. And for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And we love a Savior who came to die for our sins. But do we want a sovereign? Do we want someone to say, uh, no more excuses, personal responsibility, accountability the Lord? I know your past. I'm going to work it together for good. You have to trust me and give me the broken pieces of your past, and I'm going to make you uh, a mother over an orphanage of 30 kids because I've equipped you in a dysfunctional family in Baghdad, Kentucky. Are you ready for that? Yes, Lord. You've been raised in the streets, and your parents were prostitutes. Are you ready to be a doctor and deal with childhood diseases? or do you have excuses why you can't achieve you want to blame your parents or, or you want to embrace your father and move forward this is the picture God gives us and this was him and what's fascinating is, he, is his father had rejected him and, and his father's people said we want you to come back and be for us what your dad was we want to give you the name Lane we want to give you the name because you've made good by that name And so Jephthah takes him up on it, and then he sends messengers to the king of the Ammonites because a man who is trained for war wants peace more than anyone on the planet because he knows the cost of war. And so the first thing that Jephthah does is he sends messengers to try to appeal to the king of the Ammonites and says, Why do we have to fight? Why do you have to fight us for our land? Why are you doing this? He's trying to do peaceful negotiations, and the king. Of the people of Ammon, verse 13, answered the messengers of Jephthah. And he said, because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt uh, from the Arnon as far as Jabbok and the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands peaceably. And, and he lays out his case. The king of Ammon lays out his case because the people of Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt. And that sounds, like, that sounds like a legitimate story, doesn't it? And we have that going on in Israel right now. The Palestinians are saying this is legitimately our land. Do you know where the word Palestinian comes from? Romans. And it was a term of derogatory, fascinating to go against the Israelites because they wanted to dismiss the Bible and the claims of the scripture. And and you can go through the whole history, but we listen to the media and we buy all this. And those claims seem legitimate. This claim seems legitimate. But here's what's fascinating about Jephthah. He knows the word of God and he knows the history of Israel. And the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, workmen and need not be ashamed. The reason why you front load your children and teach them history so they can defend the truth in the public arena, in the public square. The minute that that claim is made by the king of Ammon, Jephthah sends messengers back to the king of Ammon And he said to him Thus says Jephthah Israel did not take away the land of Moab Nor the land of the people of Ammon For when Israel came up from Egypt They walked through the wilderness As far as the Red Sea And came to Kadesh He's quoting scripture Out of, out of what Moses had written He studied it And he lays out this case. He says, And Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom wouldn't heed. And in the manner they sent the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab. And they came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter in the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all of his people together and camped at Jahaz and fought against Israel. They started the war. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all of his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And then he goes on to tell the king, he says, They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from Arnon to the Jabbok to the wilderness of the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? It's God who rocked your world. And he goes on to talk about their God, uh, Chemosh. Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord, our God, takes possession of before us, we will possess. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them while Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, and in all the cities along the banks of Arnon for three hundred years? Why did you not recover them in that time? You've had three hundred years to get your god Chemosh to take back what our God took from you. And where is your god? You got to bring him out on a cart, and he. He's like the Buddha in the Chinese restaurant where he put oranges down. He never eats them. Not one. I don't know how he gets so fat. They've got to take down the rotten oranges. And then he, he says this as he gives the history of Israel. He says this in verse 27. Therefore, I have not sinned against you, king of Ammon. I have not sinned against you. You've wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this, to it, this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words of Jephthah and sent him. This is war. We disagree with your findings and we're going to kill you. And you know what happens at that point? Verse 29, third time in the book of, of Judges, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. It's kind of like with Samson last week. God was looking for an occasion to fight the Philistines. He's just looking for a man or a woman willing to stand for what is true. And he didn't care if you're a bastard child or a gang member. He didn't care He's looking for courage. Someone who can quote God's word and stand upon it. And this man stands upon it. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizbah and Gilead and Mizba of Gilead. And he advanced towards the people of Ammon and he's ready to fight. But here is the elephant in the room. This is what just leave it out, Lord. Why do I have to teach this? This is an elephant in the room. This makes this passage so bizarre. It's, it's almost like I would just like to finish there and, and we'll pray and we'll go home. You got a really good application about taking personal responsibility for your life and we covered Jephthah and all that. But God, he just puts in all the sweet noobins and the nitty-bitty bits and the dirty stuff and it's here. And this one is a doozy. Check this out. He's advancing on the people of Ammon. God, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's just, he's just marching in. He's just got that John Wayne walk. He's just going in ready to roll and, and he gets cocky, and he makes a vow to the Lord. How many people have made a vow to the Lord? Please raise your hand. Raise it. I mean it. If you've made a vow to the Lord, raise your hand. I want everyone to see it. Please. We did this first service. Okay. Keep them up. For those of you who broke your vow, keep your hand up. Those of you who kept it, go ahead and put your hand down, liars. Go ahead. If you've, if you've broken your vow to the Lord, keep your hand up. If you've broken your vow to the Lord, keep your hand up. Would you all look around at these heathens? Is this pathetic? All right, thank you. God bless you. I see your hands. Is this pathetic or what? Yeah, you people are. Wait a minute, I had my hand up. I made a vow to the Lord. I remember one time I was so caught up in the excitement of it and everything. I said, I'll support that ministry and I'll commit this. And I realized I don't have that kind of money. I didn't. And met the guy going, Where's where's the money you committed and you vowed and so, so, so. first of all, don't vow give death, leave it alone, all right? If I have to get you to vow to give, go to another church. And and I, I told him, I don't have the money. I can't I can't do it. well, that's gonna hang over your head and you have just, and then there's a broken vow before God and there's gonna be a curse upon you, and I just thought, I'm gonna find a new person to hang out with. <laughs> Watch this vow. And it's a rash vow. And, it, and it's not, it doesn't even burden him, but watch, here it goes. Jephthah made a vow, verse 30, to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, surely shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he was hoping that his dog would run out to greet him because he didn't like that little munt. He defeated them from Aor as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel-Keribim, with a very great slaughter. And thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. For she was his, everyone say, only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, "My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon." And then he, she said to her father, "Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I." So he said, "Go." He sent her uh, away for two months, and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of the two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went out four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. You read that and you're like, what kind of a church is this? What kind of a book am I reading? This is awful. And in initial reading, it is. But we, this, is a, this is a translation issue. First of all, there's no word and in Hebrew. And, and you look at this, and there's a, a very clear explanation. This is why you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word truth. People say, you see in here, this is a problem in the Scriptures. It's speaking of human sacrifice, and Jephthah gives his daughter. No, he doesn't. Do your homework. What, what, what is con- continually recited in that passage? Her virginity, her virginity, her virginity. Who cares about her virginity if she's going to get cooked? Right? It has nothing to do with, her vir- with, with human sacrifice. God abhors human sacrifice, He rejects human sacrifice. Read Deuteronomy 12, 28 through 31. He does not tolerate human sacrifice, it sickens Him. Leviticus 18, 21, it sickens God. He's not asking for a human sacrifice. And 30 pieces of silver is all he had to pay to get out of a vow. Do you? Th- I would pay 30 pieces of silver for a stupid vow to get my daughter out of being cooked. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Right? It's not a human sacrifice. I, I love what um, commentator Adam Clark says. He says... Uh, He agreed that according to the most accurate Hebrew scholars, the best translation is, I will consecrate it to the Lord or, not and, or I will offer it for a burnt offering. As he wrote, if it be a thing fit for a burnt offering, it shall be made one. If it fit for the service of God, it shall be consecrated to him. Human sacrifice was strictly forbidden by the Mosaic law in passages, like I said, Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 12, and It is almost certain that Jephthah was familiar with such passages because when he negotiated with the Ammonites, he demonstrated he knew God's word, didn't he? So it definitely was an immature and, 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 and improper vow. And uh, I got to say that when you make those, walk away from them. Just walk away from them. Now, marriage is not an improper vow. But making a commitment beyond what you could do and the only way to fulfill it is to rob a bank. Walk away from it. And, you know, some of you may go, oh, God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give you 10%. Like, God needs you. He's like, why, why are you playing the lottery? That is a stupid vow. Quit playing the lottery and go to church. Don't live in bondage to these stupid vows. I, I got to tell you a story. I'm limited in time, but I got to tell you a story. Uh, I, I, I was... I was engaged to be married to another woman. Uh, was a, you've heard the story, terrible story. Uh, and the engagement was broken off. Uh, if you haven't heard the story, you'll hear it in the course of another 15 years if God gives you that long. And, and at that point, I'd been so hurt by the pastor and by my fiance that I, I just had said this rash vow. I just said, I'm done with women. I'm not dating anyone for at least a year. I'm finished. And there was a girl that I was really sweet on. Her name was Michelle, and uh, and I had my two friends. I said, "You got to meet this girl. She is marrying material." But I am done with girls. And so we went over to Cal Poly. Her sister was graduating, and I wanted my friends to meet her. And I'm watching these guys kind of you know, talk to her, and they're like, "Yeah, she is." But why are you? Wa- She's totally your kind of. And I'm like, "You know, you're right." And they go, "But you made it." back. I go, "I don't care." <laughs> and thank thank God. Because I married her, and she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Well, I had a young man come up to me uh, a little bit ago, and um, he had come out of a terrible relationship, and he wanted to go to seminary, and he was really pressing into the Lord, just a neat guy, and uh, he, he, had, he, had, he wanted to have a talk with me, and he sits down, and, and he had just, I said, why would you go to seminary? Step into a church first, understand ministry before you get supposedly trained in a sem- cemetery, seminary. Um, <laughs> And, and he, he he did that, and he came on staff. We're starving him to death, and he wanted to sit down and talk to me. And, he go, and I go, what's on your mind? He goes, well, I, I just I feel bad. I go, what's that? And he goes, well, when I came out of a bad relationship, I came here to the church, and I really wanted to press in the Lord. I told all my friends and a bunch of people in my accountability group, my quad, that I was making a commitment not to date for a year. I go, well, that's a stupid vow. I go, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. God didn't need you to make any commitments to him in order for him to bless you. I mean, I know you want to stay pure, but do that... And if God brings a... Why would, why would you do that? And he goes, yeah, you're right. Uh, and and I, I, the reason why I was asking is because I want to date your daughter. And I go, okay, well, now that... <laughs> and yesterday they got engaged. Yay! So you see the stupidity of vows that aren't <laughs> important. And I think that's a very good illustration for all of us to apply. Amen? And, and quite honestly, it was an improper vow... And you can see through the context of it that it wasn't for human sacrifice. And and really what she ended up doing by her own admission, because she could have walked out of it and he could have purchased her out of it. She ended up, Becoming a chaste virgin for the entirety of her life to serve in the temple, which was outlined in the scriptures that they, they would have virgins serve in the temple. And it was usually elderly women. Or, and here she's young and she did it for, it's almost like going into the, being a nun in, in Catholicism. And that's what she did. And it was a commitment. And she did it on her own. She said, dad, look what God's done. I, I have no problem putting aside th- this, this area of my sexuality to, to move forward to serve the Lord. I'm okay with that, dad. And and if if it was important to you, it's important to me. I I look at that, and I think that is remarkable. For one, you have a man, he may have made a rash vow, but he did it with an intensity to want to serve God. And and you see the heart of it. But you see her following through, like, okay. My dad is a man of noble character. He has been dumped on. And one of the things that that I marvel about David Lane, his kids adore him. And, And that's character. And this is Jephthah's daughter. She looks at her dad, and she says, I want to be just like you. I have to ask you a question. So you had lousy parents, and you don't want to be like them. Why don't you set an example so your kids can say, I want to be just like you. Step it up. Let the Lord use you. And I, I struggle because I look at this, and I see a woman who has given her life to the Lord by an example of her Father. She could have walked away from that. In two months, she could have gotten married. She said, give me two months. She could have found a husband and gotten married. But she, she honored the Lord because she loved what she saw in her dad. And I would say to all of us, I think the Lord is asking us a similar question as Americans to what Jephthah asked of the Gileadites. God is saying, if I deliver you, will you follow me at all costs? And when you do, will your kids see that commitment and do the same? We want God to be our savior, but do we want him to be our sovereign? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Are we willing to move forward? And I I like what one author writes. He says, Jephthah maintained his obedient faith and courageous character without compromise. And in the end of the story... Passes the ultimate test of integrity and keeps his word in the most difficult of circumstances. He followed God even when it hurt and it cost him dearly. But I think more importantly than what that author writes is that his daughter followed the Lord and it cost her dearly. I mean, we're willing, we're willing to make vows or sacrifice our children or expose them to false gods, gods of popularity, gods of, of fashion, gods of, you know, Whatever. Media, social media, sports, competition. This is this is a time where God is. I really believe purifying His people and saying, "There's no time for excuses." We all have a past, but I want to come and give you a future, and I want to take you to be a doctor out of an orphanage I want to take you out of a home in Baghdad Kentucky and have you minister to over 30 kids I want to take you out of a trailer in Oklahoma and have you touch a nation I want you young people to hear that the enemy plays tricks with you he tells you mom and dad don't care and you have your little pity party some of us are adults and we can't get out of that childlike mindset. It's time to rise above that. We are more than conquerors. And it's time to set God's people free. And he's choosing you to do it. And your past is only empowered for your future because he works all things together for good. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, as I heard someone echo, good word, your word is good. It's living, it's breathing, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And today, Lord, we've seen how you can take a, a gang leader, a bastard child, a man ostracized by his family, run out on rails, threatened to death, neglected and forgotten, and empowered by your spirit to deliver the ones that hurt him originally. Only you, God, can do that. You did it for us while we were yet sinners. We were enemies. We were at enmity with you, and you died for us. You sent your only begotten son, but what's so fascinating is, Jesus, you said, no man takes my life. I willingly lay it down. You could have disobeyed the Father, but you were obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And you died for those who hated you and who were at war with you, and you won our hearts and were yours, and we love you. Father, empower us to forget what is behind and strive for what is ahead and realize we're not victims. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. No more excuses. We know that you work all things together for good and we trust you. Empower us by your spirit to set the captives free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and worship this wonderful God of ours.